you, Tristan. Okay, well, I'm going to, we're going to have some uh, kids' ministry uh, illustrations here. No, um, but I will be setting this up here. Hopefully, people can see it. So that survey that we, oh, thanks, Evan. That survey that, that you're filling out, we actually uh, did this survey about four years ago. And, um, and so we've got a bunch of people who are new to the church, some people who have moved to different uh, churches or places in the world. And, um, and so, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm actually interested in seeing uh, how things change over time as well uh, in terms of what is it like for us to bring life and hope in the, the community around us. This morning, our, our topic is called Speaking the Gospel Clearly. Speaking the Gospel Clearly. What is the gospel? I've asked many different people this, and I'm curious of what comes to mind when you hear the word gospel. What is the gospel? Now, Many people will think of gospel music. So they think of a choir of people swaying, and I love that music. Maybe like Kanye West is in front, and he's got a whole crew of people. Uh, or maybe it's the four books of the Bible. Uh, four books in the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the, the four gospels. But the gospel is a message so I'd like for you to take just a, a minute and to share what is the gospel message with each other. Just take a, a couple minutes and see, see what you can come up with. What is the gospel message? Oh, now I'm on. Right. Yeah, who found that challenging? Lift up your hand. Okay, yes, same answer, just a couple people. That's great. So what, what, what did you come up with? What were some answers? What is the gospel message? The good news. The good news. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Sin separated us from God through Jesus. We're brought back together with God. Yeah. What else? Yeah. Okay, I feel like my relationship with 
God loves us and wants a relationship with us. Yeah. What else? Okay, so maybe not all of you lifted up your hand, but, uh, or it's also public speaking. Speaking from a group can be challenging. Someone once said, um, more people are afraid of public speaking than of death itself. So if you went to a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than saying the eulogy. Okay, that was Jerry Seinfeld. <laughs> so now we're going to get a, a clearer glimpse of what the gospel is in the book of Colossians. We're focusing on the book of Colossians this morning. So I invite you to uh, go into your Bibles, your Bible apps, to Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. Colossians 4, 3 to 6. A little bit of context here. The Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Christians in Colossae around 62 AD while in prison, where he also wrote the letters of Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Philemon. The English Standard Version of the Bible, uh, the Study Bible, elaborates on this setting here, saying uh, a Colossian named Epaphras probably traveled to Ephesus and responded to Paul's proclamation of the gospel there. Paul was preaching the gospel before he's in prison. And this Epaphras became a new believer. He returned to his hometown in Colossae and began sharing the good news of Christ, which resulted in the first, first Colossian church. At the time of this writing, Epaphras is with Paul in Rome and has likely shared the bad news that there was a dangerous teaching threatening the church in Colossae, and Paul writes this letter to respond to this situation and to encourage these believers in this new church in their growth toward Christian maturity. So with that context, let's, let's read Colossians chapter 4, verses 3 to 6. This is the Apostle Paul writing. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Would you join me in prayer as we ask our God to speak? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Thank you for how your word instructs us and how to live and how to share this life that you give us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would speak and your Holy Spirit move this morning Speak to our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul speaks of the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery he's talking about? In verse 3 or 4, he says, to declare the mystery of Christ. And going on to say that, that I might make it clear. 
he wants to clarify this mystery. Paul mentions the word mystery 21 times in his epistles, in his writings. Colossians 1.26 says, it gives us insight into what the mystery is. It says, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to God's people. Hidden for ages and generations, now revealed. The Old Testament talks of the mystery concealed, hidden, and the New Testament talks of the mystery revealed, made known through Christ. Colossians 1.27, the next verse, Paul says, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, non-Jewish people, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hidden mystery is made known. It's about Christ, and he comes into your life and gives you his hope. Colossians 1, 5 to 6, he speaks of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this hope you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. So here's some more details about this mystery. The gospel is the grace of God in truth. It's the good news of the mystery made known in Christ. I started noticing a pattern in Paul's writing here, talking about the gospel, then about the mystery, and then about proclaiming it and declaring it and speaking it. The gospel is the mystery revealed that needs to be declared clearly, and right now it's still not clear. What, what, what is going on? What is this mystery? For sometimes it feels like still a mystery for, for Christians. Like, I, I get the gospel, but it's kind of a mystery explaining it. So if someone says to you, what is the gospel? Some of you may say, uh, it's a mystery. <laughs> um, even though the gospel of grace is truth, it needs to be proclaimed. It needs to be proclaimed clearly. And in, in the four years that I uh, led a campus ministry at University of Victoria, I've seen many hurdles uh, for people sharing the gospel. The struggle for many people is that they, they love the people around them, they care for them, but they don't know how to clearly declare or share the gospel. They don't know where to start, how it ties together, or how to continue on from there. Some people know the parts and don't know how to bring it up, this important topic, in a a natural way. And some people know how to speak it clearly. They, they really know th what they believe and the doctrine and stuff, but they don't see the, the right opportunities to share it. They don't feel like maybe they get many opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, the hope of Christ with others. So since the mystery of Christ is the gospel of grace, we ought to firstly speak the mystery of Christ with clarity, 
And then pray that God would open opportunities. Speak with clarity and pray that God would open opportunities. And I hope to be clear, and uh, I'll be praying that God helps me to speak clearly here. We ought to speak clearly about this mystery of Christ, to clearly speak of it. In Colossians 4.4, Paul wants to declare the mystery and asks that the Christians in Colossae pray, quote, that I, might, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. How then should we speak clearly? To make the, the mystery known, we ought to speak clearly on what the gospel is, what the gospel isn't, and build a bridge between the two. Let's consider what the gospel is in creation. So you can think of the, the overarching story of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. And so creation, we are created to know and love God. Some people are like, what is my purpose in life? To know God, enjoy him, to love him. And we're created in his image. You are created with dignity, worthy of respect. You, you, are, you are so precious to God. Every single human on this earth is so precious to God. We're created in his image to reflect what he's like to the world. And we're created very good. And this, this, initially, humanity was created very good, but there's a problem in which we get to in a minute. But Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, Christ, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things were created through him, and for him, for Christ. So this is creation. Secondly, fall. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback in echo, I'm not sure. Uh, fall, our, our decisions to reject God's authority and relationship is called sin. Our decision to reject his authority and relationship is called sin. And the sin brings guilt that results in isolation. When we isolate ourselves from God and from each other, there's a broken identity without God. Death is our inheritance. We, we, we separate ourselves from the author of life, the source of life, and you have death. Colossians 1.21 says, And you, he's speaking to the Christians in Colossae, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, separate from God, doing evil deeds, he's reminding them of what they were. Apart from God, we're hostile towards him. No, 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 thank you. Thank you for this creation, but no thank you, creator. And we were doing evil deeds, not following his life-giving ways. That's the problem. 
Now, the good thing here is redemption. Redemption. Jesus takes our death and gives us life in exchange. Jesus gives us new identity when we trust in him. Jesus cleanses us when we confess our sins. Colossians 1.22 says, He has now reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. He's reconciled us by his death in order to present us holy and blameless, cleansed. There's a totally new identity here for whoever trusts in Jesus. The fourth part of this story arc is restoration. That through Jesus, God restores us to himself, restores our relationships, and changes how we relate to people in the world, restores our culture, and restores all creation. And this is a progressive thing. Colossians 1.13 talks of if, if we turn from sin and turn to Jesus, Colossians 1.13 says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. If we turn to Jesus, he delivers us, he transfers us out of darkness into light out of death into life, into hope. We have redemption and forgiveness. So Paul teaches us how we ought to clearly speak of what the gospel is, but also clearly what it isn't. It's important to know because you can get things muddled up. You, you, you know, you, you hear various different commentary in the world and you get confused, what is the gospel? So, let's consider what the gospel is not. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Other translations replace plausible with fine-sounding or enticing words or nice-sounding rhetoric. I... I I'm clarifying these things for you so that no one may delude you, confuse you, distort the gospel with fine-sounding words. There were false teachers in the church. They would delude the saints with theories and enticing words, with conspiracies. Uh, there was Gnosticism. This was a prominent thing in the early church, uh, G saying Jesus wasn't really a man. He was just a spirit, and it's all about the secret knowledge, this hidden code. And, and there's all, there's so many of these special teachings that, oh, you haven't heard in the church, but this is really special. And so certain people, you, you feel special hearing about this secret knowledge that the mainstream church doesn't know about. Uh, there are, there's various cults or religions today that, that twist things in the gospel. In Islam, it says that Jesus was made to appear 
that he died on the cross. He didn't actually die on the cross, and he's not God. He, he's, he's special. He's a, a messenger. He's the Messiah, but he's not God, um, and he didn't die on the cross. Jehovah's Witnesses would say that Jesus wasn't really God. He was the Archangel Michael, so he, he was like a God, but he wasn't God. Mormons would say, or, or um, followers of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, as they would say, uh, that Jesus is one of many gods, and we can be gods too. They wouldn't tell you that right out, out front, actually. They would say, oh, we're Christians, it's, it's good. And, right? we, some of us have talked to them, and, and if you get down to it, it's like, yeah, actually, Jesus was a god of many gods, and you can be a god. Like, he was a human who became a god, you can be... Uh, so it can be confusing. So it's good to know what the gospel is and what it isn't. And the thing is that um, the gospel gets changed around also in other ways in society. The gospel is not primarily a social justice manifesto to join a cause. Yes, it, it, it actually uh, addresses things of social justice and human rights, but that's not predominantly what it is. That's not its main thing. The gospel is not a bunch of rule-keeping to gain God's favor. And yet there are life-giving laws saying, this is the way of life. The gospel is not some inward awakening through a higher level of conscious meditation. You just need to tap into that wavelength. Yes, there's revelation that God gives to us. But it, it is just by trusting in Jesus that God comes in and transforms us, not us inwardly searching for an aha moment. It's the good news that our loving creator has come to this world, came to die for our sins, taking the penalty that we deserve upon himself so that we can be brought back into alignment with God and with his ways and bring life into the world. So in, in another aspect of discerning what the gospel is and isn't, you know, there's, there's cults and religions who would say different things, but there's also the everyday false gospels that we believe. We believe lots of different little narratives in our lives that just sneak in and it's harder to recognize them because it's not like, oh, that's a cult. It's just like, oh, it's something that I watched in a movie and then it kind of resonated with me and stuck with me. But it's not actually real. So consider this story arc of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. But in terms of a false narrative, these are questions that you can fill in the blanks in your own thoughts here. Here's some questions to consider. How did you find identity? Who are you? Some people say, I, I wasn't created good. I wasn't created by God. I, I'm a self-made person. Or I'm completely out of random chance in the universe, just molecules came together and here I am. What influenced you? What gave you value? What gives you value? Is it something that you achieve and do? Is it what people say of you? Here's a f fall. Fall. What causes brokenness? 
How have you been wronged in life? Who do you want to blame? Now, now sometimes we, they, we have one story arc that just kind of covers our whole life and how we view the world. We say, oh, blame Trudeau or blame Trump or blame uh, COVID or blame you know, the World Health Organization, whatever it is. Who do we blame? What is the thing that is wrong with the world? Why are things not as they're supposed to be? Ah, dropout rates in schools. Okay, uh, thirdly, redemption. What is your functional savior? What do you look to to save you from the brokenness in the world? What are you longing for? Who or what do you put your hope in? If only the Canucks would win the Stanley Cup. And then we would march triumphantly down the streets, waves flagging. I mean, you know what I mean. Who do you put your hope in? Testing to see if you're listening, right? <laughs> uh, restoration. What is your utopia and paradise? See, I've, I've kind of jumped into that too. If the Canucks won, what would it look like? All of Vancouver would be united in one big song. We'd be wearing our Canucks jerseys because we are Canucks. That's our identity, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. I've enjoyed watching Canucks games, but I'm not a huge fan. But this can be said for soccer, which I really love too. What is your utopia, your paradise? What is how everything is supposed to be? If everyone had education in the world, our world would be perfect, healed, united. There'd be no ignorance Who would be the focus when all things are right? Who's at the center of it all? Ah, oh, if, if these things came together in my life, then I would just be able to get along, go on with what I feel like I need to do. I would be, you know, doing my thing. No one could tell me what to do. And, and I, would, I would have a Lamborghini, and I'd be high-fiving the mayor, are you the center in that version of your story? So this is how we, and the thing is, we have these everyday false gospels everywhere. They're in commercials, you know, at, at, at a, a bus stop, big sign. They're on Netflix and Disney Plus, Amazon Prime, you name it. They're the things that we, we say to one another in passing. They're the things that, Maybe sometimes it's, it's a prayer request. And these, these are small things, but sometimes we make them the ultimate narrative in our lives. If only my spouse would truly understand me, then every, all of this would be made right. We actually have deeper problems. We have greater solutions. 
We need to build a bridge between the two, between the, the false narratives and really what the gospel is. To recognize this is the gospel, this isn't, and so forth. There's this pattern in Colossians. He says, this is the gospel. Proclaim it. This is not the gospel, but this is the gospel. This is not the gospel. This is the gospel. Proclaim it. He keeps going back and forth. And when you can grasp the themes of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, hearing these themes in people's stories and your own, you can bridge that with your own broken story and, and how the true gospel story is the real solution and hope for us all. It helps me to recognize my own false narratives and be able to correct that. It really helps. And it helps with, with friends and neighbors. Can I share with you what's helped me in, in being able to clearly describe this? This is, by the way, a helpful way to explain the gospel that people doing overseas work find it very helpful in various different cultures. Uh, and high schoolers uh, in different places in, in North America find it helpful in sharing with their friends. And it's so easy that young kids can do it. And so I'd like to share this with you. And do you have a, a blank piece of paper with you? Yeah? I would like you to, um, to try and draw along with me. This is called the Three Circles Gospel, or the Gospel in Three Circles. Lift up your hand if you need a pen, if you threw it away or ate it, um, and we'll, we'll get going. Uh, I'll show you the, the next slide here. This is what we're going to be drawing. Can you see it? This is my art, artistry. No, I'm just kidding. That's my son, Isaiah, who did that. Uh, he did a great job. So um, I shared this with our kids last night and said, hey, well, do you think that you could uh, repeat this process right after? So I, I showed them, I drew it, I explained it, and then they, they all wanted to try it. And they all did a good job. They got all the details in. I, mean, I, I had to fill in one or two little gaps, but uh, it was quite enjoyable seeing them being able to explain that. So if a kid can do it, God help us. I think we can get along here. Okay, so if someone in my life uh, is going through a hard time, I, I want to help them. So I, I can say, can I share with you what has helped me when I go through hard times, when I feel like I need hope, when I feel discouraged, when I feel like the world is ending? Well, I, I, this, this helps me to, to think about this. I draw one circle, say, we live in a broken world. That's what we've just acknowledged. Our world is broken. Let's say broken. Can you guys see this? Is that helpful that I write it at the same time? Okay. Our world is broken, and we can see that everywhere. All sorts of things. But our world wasn't always broken. Our world was actually created good. It's hard to believe because we've never experienced it being truly good. But it was. 
God, the creator, created this world good. We could write, uh, we could say God's design, or just design, but God's design. God created us for four good relationships. So we can draw a little four-way arrows. A good relationship with God, loving relationship with God, with ourself, and draw a stick person. You draw two stick persons with each other. And you can draw a little circle with the world, with the earth, with all of creation. Good relationships. This was good when God, when we all lived with God as our king. He was in charge. But we ran away from him. We turned away. We rejected his good way of life. And the Bible calls this sin. And it sends our world into brokenness. You can read about this in Genesis chapter 3. And so we're, we're in this broken world. And you'll see that there's these little, little squiggly marks here and arrow pointing back. The thing is that in this broken world, we want to escape. And we try all sorts of ways to escape. We try relationships. Maybe this relationship will solve all my problems. We try to get involved in social issues, and maybe that's going to fix the world. Or maybe that's how I'll escape. Maybe it'll be Netflix or whatever. Maybe it's drinking and drugs or sports. But it's like a bungee cord, and we get snapped back into the broken world, back into this reality that things are broken, and it hasn't all been fixed. And God sees us in this brokenness. He sees us hopeless and helpless. We can't fix our broken world on our own. So what God does is he comes into the world fully human in the person of Jesus. Fully God, fully human. He shows us what he's like. So we have this, this arrow pointing down. That's God coming down to the earth. And then God lived this perfect life that we failed to live. He shows what living, being fully human should look like. And then he exchanged our brokenness for his life on the cross. On a Roman cross, he died there, was crucified Buried, and he rose again back to life on the third day. And he has power over life, and he can bring resurrection to us as well. So he wants to bring us back into God's design. So how do we turn to Jesus and go back into God's design? Two T's. Turn. Turn away from our selfish lives of sin. 
the, the, the ways in life when we say, no, I want things done my way, not your way, God. We're turning away from that, and we're trusting. Trusting in Jesus. Turn and trust. And, and it could be starting with a prayer of saying, God, I confess I, I've sinned against you. I've rejected your ways of life. And I'm sorry. But Jesus, I see that you've died for my sins and you want to bring me back into God's design. So I want to do that. I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge of my life. And he will bring us into alignment with God's design as we follow him. And he wants us to grow and he wants us to also go back into the broken world to bring his life and hope. So that we wouldn't just be like, oh, well, it's good that I'm saved and healed and filled with life. I'll just keep to myself and this is great. No, he wants us to share that. He wants us to go into the brokenness. And that's why, that's why I'm sharing this with you because I believe that what he's done in me, he can do in your life. And then we can build a bridge. Do you, would you say that your life is more in brokenness or in line with God's design? And if we're not following Jesus, it's in brokenness. And then we can give uh, uh, an invitation for someone to decide, would you like to stay in brokenness in your own ways? Or would you like to turn to Jesus and be brought into God's design? If no, is there anything that holds you back from that? Is there anything that holds you back from that? Fear? Or it's just a lot to take in? Maybe we need to talk some more over some following weeks. You want to read the Bible more together? But how, how can I help you to find life? find this is a very helpful way to because it, it's, it's also it's interactive as well by by even drawing the circles it can help you to remember oh that's what happens next that happened with my kids they're seven eight and ten years old and they're each able to do it before we continue on in the last part of the sermon i'd like to give you three minutes to try to share this with the other person only one of you will be able to share. So the, the introverted person, point to the other person and say, can you go first, please?
All right. Did you guys have enough time? How did that go? I heard some, some great sharing. That's good. You know, the, the Bible talks about um, being hearers of the word and being doers of the word. And um, in, in the book of James, it says, don't just be hearers of the word and deceive yourselves, but be doers also. And that's why we're, we're doing this, because, you know, it is actually such an important part of our walk with Jesus to actually walk with Jesus and to, to follow uh, his ways to, to share life with others that actually brings us life. In 1 John, uh, John, John writes saying, I write these things so that our joy would be in you and our joy would be full. You ever, like if you share something with someone and you're, you're, you're sharing about like a really great restaurant and then they, they come back to you the next week, they said, we went to that restaurant. It's so good. I know, right? It's so good. And you get to share that joy that you just helped somebody out to discover this awesome, life-changing restaurant. Okay, maybe not life-changing. That's a false narrative, right? But, but it's helpful. Yeah, we, we, we like to share things that bring joy. And uh, this is so good. But now, uh, what do we, uh, do we just go out and do this by our own clever wit or practice? No, we, we also must pray. We need to depend on God. Jesus said it in Luke 10, verse 2. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a lot of need in the world, but there's a few helpers. Ask the Lord of the harvest, the one who's in charge of it all, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Ask the Lord. He's the Lord of the harvest. Jesus is the Lord of the harvest. He's saying, ask the Lord. And that he would send out his workers. There's so much need. There's need down your street. There's need at the bus stop. There's need at your workplace. And he's saying, ask me. Just ask me. And I'm going to send out my workers. God wants relationship with us. He's not just go and do your duty. Let's do this together. Invite me into it. So we ought to pray that God would open opportunities. In a survey conducted asking pastors in Portland around COVID time how active their church members are in sharing their faith, and this isn't just for COVID time, but it's thinking retro, uh, thinking in the past. Their report summarized nine insights. And number, no, number eight was that prayer for the lost is lacking. Leonard Ravenhill, a, a prominent evangelist and author of Revival, said, no one is greater than their prayer life. And it could also be said that no one's opportunities to preach or speak the gospel is greater than their prayer life. Aisha Shafira who is the director of Toronto House of Prayer, she stresses the point to young people on mission that, quote, only in that place of prayer and communion with God do we actually allow him the space to work in us and to work in other people. Now, while we were doing 
uh, writing the three circles together and sharing with each other. Someone asked me, what about when someone's saying, no, but I, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go in his ways or trying to fit in a box or whatever. And we point back, God just wants relationship with you. He wants to be one with you. He, he loves you. He created you with love. But the thing is that if someone just wants their own way of life and doesn't want to be back and reconciled with God, that's their decision. And there's a spiritual aspect there too. The Bible talks about how we're spiritually dead. There's a veil over us. That there's lots of other spiritual factors going on behind the scenes in which someone's heart is saying, no, I want my way, not God's way. And maybe it's a lie thinking my ways are better. Like I'm better, like I'm more wise than the creator of the universe who created me in a particular way to thrive. Or I, I, I just love my ways. My ways give me pleasure in certain ways. I don't want to go there. I think that I won't have as much pleasure in God's ways. But that's where we, we leave it to God, too. We pray beforehand. We pray after. Lord, I, I, I shared the good news of you. You love them. You're reaching out to them. But I, I can't change their heart. I can't persuade them. Lord, it's your work. Would you work in their heart? Apart from you, nothing's going to happen. We need God to do his work. And he invites us to partner together in that. Colossians 4.3, the Apostle Paul is in prison and he writes, pray also for us, not that we'd necessarily be released, but that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. He's in prison because people said, no, we don't want God's ways, we want ours, and we're going to lock you up because you're speaking about God's ways. So there's a spiritual aspect there. But he says, pray for us in prison that God would open up a door that we could share the good news of Jesus. That's his priority in prison. Not to get out, but to let people out of their spiritual prisons. Still behind bars, he later writes the letter to the Philippians and rejoices over answered prayers. Philippians 1, 12 to 14 says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Like what has happened to me in prison has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He's rejoicing. Sure, you can lock me up, but you can't lock up my soul. You can't lock up the gospel. It's going out further. The more that you're trying to suppress the truth, the truth just seeps through and goes forth. And people are being encouraged and emboldened by that. And that's a response to their prayers. People in all these different little cities where new churches were starting, they're praying for him that God would open up a door, an opportunity to share the good news. Who is it that God has placed in your life? People that you care about, but they don't know about the good news of Jesus. 
They don't know how good Jesus is, how he would completely change their lives, completely. It's amazing. The more we say, yes, Jesus, I want to I go in your life-giving ways, the deeper life gets significance and joy and the, the broadness of the story that we're in, the God that we're with. It's amazing. We're, we're still in a broken world. I mean, not everything gets fixed. But God changes us and sends us into the brokenness to bring life. What situations do you find yourself in where you wish that you could share hope, but often you don't? Pray. 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 Invite others to pray with you. Can you pray for me? I really would love to share this life-giving good news to this person, but I'm, I'm afraid of awkwardness. I'm afraid of what they'll say. I'm afraid that this person will hit me. I'm afraid that this will be tense in the workplace. Would you pray with me? Prayer is the key that God uses to open doors of opportunity for the gospel to be clearly declared. Prayer is that key that God uses to open the doors of the gospel. So pray for open doors for yourself and for others. So I'd like to share a about a time when I was living in Victoria and I, I um, met this, this guy who uh, my friend James uh, had as a homestay student uh, from China. And we had a really great conversation. We're chatting about this and that. And then the, the topic goes about how I know James and we're both Christians. And it, it's just me and this guy, Michael in the car now. James is, he got dropped off. Michael and I are actually going to buy foam swords uh, for an um, engagement party. It's just a fun thing. And so we're talking about life, and then it goes to talking about God. It just gets into talking about God and sharing about how God loves him and God created him for good. Sin separates us and all these things, and Jesus comes to redeem him. And we're, we're, we ended up talking for four hours in the car. And just talking about the gospel, and God is stirring his heart, and he's responding, like, I'm not even leading up to pray, but he's just like, God, if you're there, like, forgive me, and, and then God, like, for, brings forgiveness, and then he's like, Addison, I, I need to forgive some family members, like, the things they've done to me, I, I don't think I can forgive them, and he said, I, well, maybe you don't feel like you can, but God can help you to forgive them, so we prayed, and right after we said amen, he got a phone call, and it was a family member he hadn't talked with for weeks, he said, it's them. And he's got tears down his face. It's them. Like, pick it up. So he picks it up, and he's just, he's crying. He's speaking in Mandarin. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know what's going on, but Lord, would you do your work? I'm just praying. And, and after he hangs up, he's like, I've forgiven them, and they forgave me. I was like, wow. This is a huge thing in his life. Just breakthrough. It's amazing. And then, He's like, I, I want to follow Jesus. I'm like, oh, this is great. So we talk some more about that. And then, we, okay, let, let's go back to the house and let's tell the others. 
get out, uh, drive out of the parking lot, cross the street, and then he's like, I need to stop. So we stop into another parking lot. He says, I need to pray for my friends and family that they would receive Jesus. Like, yeah. So we're praying for his friends and his family, and like he's just really feeling like Jesus changes our lives. So he's praying for his friends and his family. It's like, this is a powerful time. I'm just like, thank you, God. This is so awesome. Okay, let's go back to the, the, the place now. So we, we drive back to my friend's place where James is and my friend Harrison and Dave and Dave. And, and, and we get into the, the, the house. And um, James opens. Uh, so there's like a hallway and there's like some rooms. They open the door and like, hey, I'm like, Michael, do you want to tell them you know, the news? It's like, I'm a brother in Jesus Christ. And they're like, what? Like, we, we were, we just felt like God wanted us to pray for you. And so, like, for the, the past few hours, they were praying in that room for Michael. It's just awesome. Yeah. And Michael continued to walk with Christ, and he... Uh, had to go back to China eventually, and he said it was very difficult living for Christ there. He says that, like, yeah, anyways, it was very difficult. Then he moved to California. He got baptized as part of a church there, and I believe he continues to love Jesus. But God was doing a work in him through the prayers of my friends. James and Dave felt stirred by God. Let's pray. And God is like, yes. Let's do this. Who does God want to stir in your life through your prayers? Who does he want to move in? Whose life does he want to change? What chains does he want to break through your prayers? We don't always see what he does. Not immediately. Maybe sometimes it's a week later, a month later. Years later, maybe sometimes in eternity. But when we pray, God is at work. He invites us into that. The door is often open through prayer, and we need to be watchful in prayer. And God says, I'm with you. So we go in the grace of God. We go to, to share this good news, not because we do this to, to be accepted, because God already accepts us. It says in Colossians 1.12, God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It says in Colossians 3.12, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And these things are not by what we do but by what Jesus did in our place. Would you pray with me? Maybe you're new to the faith, and thank God that he opened the door for the gospel to be shared with you. Maybe you don't know God, and this is the gospel. You could be so far from God, but Jesus came to bring you close to God. Your problem is not as big as you think. It's, it's bigger than you think, but your solution is greater. Your sin separates you from God, but if you put your trust in Jesus, our gracious God will forgive you.
He'll give you new life and welcome you into his family. So if, if you don't yet follow Jesus, would you receive the invitation of God to be reconciled with him because he loves you? Father, would, would you bring us all close to you? Thank you for sending Jesus to show us, Father, what you're like and to die for our sins, to offer forgiveness, to show you your life, to show us your life-giving ways. Lord, would you help each of us to receive Jesus in a deeper way today? That you would align us with your life-giving ways. Lord, that you would send us into the world to bring life and hope. That we would not be spectators, but active participants with you. Thank you that you go with us to the very end. Thank you that you empower us by your spirit. Thank you that you answer our prayers, that you are at work through our prayers. Lord, we pray for, for those in our family, friends, coworkers, people who don't know you yet. We pray, Lord, that, that you would reveal yourself to them. And that you would even use us, even use us in our weakness, in, in our shyness, in our insecurity, in our awkwardness. Use us, Lord. You use weak people. You can use us. We pray, Lord, that you would send us out with your life and your hope. Would you do that work in us? In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week.